Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the One Digital Debate series on the Employer Advisory Podcast. My name is Jenny Bedell. I lead the HR consulting practice for One Digital here in Tennessee, and I'll be the host and moderator of today's discussion. If you enjoyed this podcast, you should also consider listening to previous episodes of the series, which cover issues such as the four-day work week, pay transparency, and other hot topics in workforce management. Today's episode will cover a subject that's been getting a lot of press in recent months, which is the role of large language model AI programs, kind of like chat GPT in the workplace. This is an instance where HR leaders, lawyers, and corporate governance experts are scrambling to play catch up and establish rules around a technology that they just weren't prepared for. As generative AI tools become increasingly sophisticated, the question of their use in corporate America will only become more pressing. In fact, Earlier this year, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission oversaw the first ever settlement of a workplace discrimination case involving AI, with an employer agreeing to pay a whopping $400,000 in fines due to an AI-powered hiring tool that automatically rejected female applicants over 55 and male applicants over 60. Uh Uh-oh. It's likely that there will be plenty of similar issues in the months and years ahead. So with that being said, let's get started by introducing today's debaters. We'll begin with Malin Morrison, who works on the National Compliance Consulting Team here at One Digital, and will be advocating for a cautious approach to the use of generative AI in a corporate setting. Thank you for joining us, Malin. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thank you, Jenny. I'm happy to be here today. So like Jenny mentioned, I'm on the national compliance team here at One Digital. I'm an HR consulting and benefits council, uh, providing information to HR consultants on how to comply with any work-related or employment-related laws and regulations in the workplace. Um, Coming up on five years, I've been working in the compliance arena, Prior to One Digital, I did work um, in management side labor and employment law in private practice, again, representing employers and, and helping them navigate kind of the difficult waters of, you know, all the different complex employment related laws. So happy to be here today. Thank you, Malin. It's great to have you on the show. Next up, we've got Scott Lamb, a true veteran of this series, who'll be arguing in favor of a more liberal approach to the use of AI based tools in the workplace. Thanks so much for coming back, Scott. Can you please take a moment to introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. Yeah. My name is Scott Wham. Um, I too am a, a lawyer, although I say I'm, I'm more or less in recovery now. Uh, I've been working in the employee benefits consulting world for the past uh, 12 years or so. I used to be a litigator before uh, entering this space. My company joined One Digital about four years ago uh, via acquisition, and now I oversee uh, compliance consulting for the uh, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware markets. And I also uh, spent a lot of time um, paying attention to late-breaking strategies and developments. So my title is actually Compliance and Innovation, which is uh, which is somewhat oxymoronic or <laughs> oil and water. But, um, but uh, I do spend a lot of time tracking things like the development of AI and thinking about ways that we can adopt uh, new technologies and new strategies into our consulting model and deliver them them to our clients. So uh, happy to be here again and talk about this subject. Excellent. Thank you both. I think this is going to be a very interesting conversation. So let's go ahead and move on to opening statements. To kick things off, I'd like to ask each of you to explain your positions surrounding the use of AI for HR duties, corporate communications, and other basic workplace activities. Scott, let's start with you. 
What is the rationale behind a really more permissive position on the use of AI at work? And what positive arguments do you have? Can you kind of list out for the more lenient approach? Yeah, so so my position definitely is is one of supporting more leniency to allow uh, employees within an organization to explore the utility of large language AI models and a variety of uh, AI technologies that are developing. Because to put it bluntly, um, AI is an arms race and AI is going to be one of those topics where you're either on board with AI and understand how to deploy it and implement it or you're going to be on the wrong side of it. And um, and and right now, the idea that we can just bury it, put it away, sequester it from all employees within an organization without thinking critically about what the utility of uh, platforms like ChatGPT or or Bard AI could potentially be, um, I think is 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 an unwise position to take. And I know that that's been the the, the trend, but um, there is ex- extreme utility in having individuals within an organization who uh, are aware of the potential pitfalls of relying on the work product of a generative AI platform and being able to explore and play and think about it. I mean, I just think about what I do and I can already envision 10 or 15 initiatives that would be eased through the adoption of a natural language AI processor or generative AI platform. I think about things like generating plan documents, generating required notices, um, thinking of creative ways to scale enrollments through platforms like an ICRA. Um, I think about what what generative AI could mean for hospitals and doctors and uh, and and the healthcare system that that we work so closely with in developing um, cost savings uh, and and efficiencies within the delivery of care. Uh, I think about I think about positions that are getting harder and harder to fill within organizations that could be in the near term future supplanted by, AI platforms. And I think to run away from this as a reality um, is is an unwise choice. Um, Now, to be clear, I'm not in favor of widespread, everybody, Wild West, go run to BARD or ChatGPT and start using it. But I am 100% in favor of organizations identifying individuals within that organization who have the skill and training to understand the pitfalls of potential AI use and giving them the freedom to think about ways to adopt. Because again, somebody else is if you're not. Yeah. So really kind of taking more of the balanced approach is what I'm hearing, Scott, and and certainly the the pluses with, to your point, the opportunities for creating efficiencies. So thank you for that. Um, Maylin, let's let's kick it over to you. What problems do you see regarding the use of chat GPT and, you know, similar, as Scott referenced, some of these similar large language models in a workplace setting? Why do you believe that these concerns really outweigh kind of some of the potential benefits that we could see? Sure. Um, So I think the number one problem that I see with using these types of um, large language models or any type of automated decision making tool or things like that is really just how do we know that the information that is being inputted and then thereafter outputted by these systems, how do we know that that information is accurate? Um, You see all over the media and you even brought up one of the cases where the EEOC was pursuing a discrimination case against a, a company for uh, discriminatory hiring practices because of the use of those automated decision-making tools. Um, the, the information that's being input, it, or excuse me, the information that's being output by these systems can only be as good as the information that's 
put into them. So if it's if it's fed discriminatory or biased information, it's going to output discriminatory or biased information because unfortunately, um, while these systems have the potential to, to really streamline certain processes, they can, they're, they're still limited by the users and, and the information that's being put into them. Um, so I think just accuracy and the potential for misinformation is really like the number one issue that I see with using uh, these types of tools, especially in a an arena like human resources, um, where you really have a lot of strict regulatory uh, requirements um, for hiring. There's a lot of employee protections, um, and it's just difficult to know, can we really trust the information that's coming out of these systems? Um, I also think that there's some privacy and security concerns. Uh, once information is input into a lot of these large language models like ChatGPT, it becomes accessible to everyone else who uses the platform. It's a, a web-based browser ser uh, service. So um, if inadvertently employees are going on and, and disclosing confidential information of the company, that might be used later down the line to come up with a solution for a competitor. Um, so it's really hard to kind of, you can't, you can't make chat GPT sign a non-disclosure agreement, unfortunately. <laughs> so, so privacy and security concerns, confidentiality, um, it stores all of that information that's inputted into it. They say for life, that's how it learns. So once something has been entered in there, it's going to live there forever. And you don't know who, when, or where it's going to ever be used again to generate a possible solution or, or a response for another, another user. And then generally just the misuse of the potential information. So whether it's intentionally done so or not, um, we've seen in the media, some of these AI models have made up information. Um, I've, as an attorney, I followed some of the cases that or attorneys were using it to write briefs and it was citing cases that didn't exist. And and it, you just run into the, the issue that, Sometimes these systems might think that they're smarter than they really are. So it's information accuracy, right? Yeah, and yeah those are pretty bad attorneys, though. I would argue too, Malin. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. Yeah. <laughs> but that's are, the worst the uh, worst position you could be in to get called out by the judge. Like, this case oh my doesn't gosh, exist. Could you imagine? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, thank you guys both for, for talking a little bit about your positions in those opening statements. Let's let's dig into a little bit of detail. So I'm going to ask a few questions and, and we'll go back and forth. But starting with you, Scott, how do you respond to concerns about biases and inaccuracies in AI writing? So, you know, we talked about a little bit with Malin just kind of completely fabricating something, but but really more the biases and inaccuracies. And should all AI-generated materials be proofread by a human? What are your thoughts? So I'd point out that humans have some pretty significant biases and tendencies toward inaccuracies True. when evaluating information. I mean, our entire uh, consulting practice is aimed at helping very... Um, uh, helping humans with with uh, understandable lim limitations in bandwidth or under limitations in subject matter expertise, navigate a, a variety of issues. And discrimination happens absent AI as well. And and to date, we have some blockbuster cases with AI, but I'd argue that humans are are incredibly fallible as well. Um, the the challenge with AI uh, for those who have really followed this story closely is 
there are times where it is very difficult to disagree with, especially in generative AI platforms. I mean, I remember uh, following the AlphaGo story uh, almost 10 years ago now where uh, a, a generative AI platform was built to play the ancient um, Chinese game of Go, which is a board game that is incredibly complicated. Uh, it's viewed as the ultimate test of genius. Um, it's a game that has more potential outcomes than there are atoms in the known universe. And there was one distinct move that was made by the platform that every commentator who was watching the match against AlphaGo versus the best Go player in the world thought was insanity. And what ended up being the case was that move gave AlphaGo a 99% chance of certainty of winning by one point where any other more traditional move would have given AlphaGo a chance of winning uh, an 80% chance of winning by 20 points. But AlphaGo knew that it would win 99% of the time making that one move. And that was the moment that people took a step back and said, well, wait a minute. Uh, do we even know how this is thinking? Do we even know how this is operating? It's thinking in a way that we can't really relate to. And the implications of what that meant are still to be seen and still being um, uh, understood. Um, but I would argue that there will come a time where where, where these platforms are are beyond the ability of a, of a human being to really understand how they're working. Um, uh, and, and we're going to have to do our best to integrate them or again, you know, they're going to get out of our control, but where we sit today with it is I find ChatGPT to be a very useful tool for building frameworks for, um, presentations, for instance, or if I, if I'm aware of a certain subject matter to use it as a point of reference without relying on it. Right. What I have found in using uh, ChatGPT specifically is, um, you know, the ACA is its own universe, and there's only a handful of people that really dive into the ACA. You do have to be very careful relying on the information that comes out. I see inaccuracies all the time, but it's not far off. It's 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 not far off, at least anecdotally from what I've encountered. So at this stage, I think it would be foolish for anyone to just take rote from a from natural language platform or a, a large language modeler like like ChatGPT, take any information, copy and paste it and use it professionally. But I do see utility in 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 kicking the tires and figuring out, you know, what are the limitations, seeing for yourself asking for citations, checking citations, verifying the information that's that's uh, that's that, that's put out. What I can say definitively is that the articles that are written are from a grammatical perspective generally fairly flawless uh, when I give it when I give it prompts and the space at which that content's generated is just absolutely mind-boggling. So to answer your question at this stage, I think most people would agree it would be difficult to just trust the information Whole, whole whole cloth that's coming out of one of these modelers. We have enough evidence to know that that's, that's not a smart move. But to give people with subject matter expertise who know how to check information that's being generated, for instance, a lawyer who's submitting a brief with cases that aren't real is the highest form of malpractice I could possibly imagine. Like that's, that's insane. But a lawyer would be capable of, of checking legal citations um, that are included in a material. Somebody who's writing an article about the Affordable Care Act or about ERISA or about um, uh, you know, social determinants of health and asking for citations would be able to go and, and do a serviceable job of, of verifying, are these real citations? Do these sources act actually exist? Um, I think getting that comfort level is important, even if it's not ready for prime time. So again, I don't want to be misunderstood. I'm not saying that it's ready to just be unleashed onto an organization and relied on 100%. 
But what I've seen in a lot of organizations is just a complete shutdown and barring of access to employee populations to even to even kick the tires, even those who have security training, even those who have uh, the requisite credentials to deal with sensitive um, employer information. Look, right now, security breaches are at risk with or without AI. Right. We, we worry about employees leaking protected health information. We worry about individuals leech, leaking sensitive trade secrets. Um, that's a risk that's that's omnipresent. That's a risk that's that's with us at all times. Um, I don't want that to be a, a, something that chills a company from thinking creatively about how they could potentially def- deploy this technology responsibly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a great point. I know I certainly spell check before I submit an important document, right? So, um, right. Yeah, that's right? a good point, right? Um, so, I wish so, I did a better job of that. Right? To be honest with Me you. too. <laughs> I wish I could spell better, right? We'd be in a better spot. Um, Malin, flipping that over to you, and thank you for that, Scott. You know, what do you think about you know potential concerns around biases and, and inaccuracies, and then also you know whether do we need to have a human check all of these things? What what is your take on that, Malin? Yeah, so like I said, data is really the foundation of how these AI systems run. And so that means that the outputs are going uh, to reflect the underlying data that's input into them. So if AI is learning from information available on the web um, or information that's inputted by uh, certain individuals, it's only going to be as smart as what that information entails. So like I said, if if that information maybe doesn't encompass certain groups of uh, people, whether that's um, races or nationalities or people that maybe don't have significant access to the internet to put out their music or writing or anything like that, you know, um, AI isn't going to be able to just access that if it's not on, on the cloud, you know, because um, everything's on the cloud these days. Um, so, while AI can sometimes make things up, it's not always accurate. So um, I think that there definitely is a significant concern with biases and inaccuracies um, just within these systems. And I do think that there is a necessity for some level of oversight. Uh, like I, I do agree with what Scott said. There are people that do have, they're the subject matter experts in these areas and they are the people that should be responsible for reviewing the work put or the work output that it that comes from these AI systems. Um, I do agree that there are certain tasks that may be uh, streamlined from using the AI system. You know, if you're trying to just come up with a uh, marketing blast and you want a good blurb of how to explain something, maybe AI can help you with that. But I do believe that there is still um, a need for human oversight. It, it can't just be blindly unleashed and, and allowed to kind of say what it wants without no checks and balances. Um, my hesitation really comes more in the arena of specific human resources application, like hiring and firing. Um, for example, if you asked uh, ChatGPT to write a job description in a state that had uh, significant pay transparency requirements, um, it might gather information that was inputted from a state that doesn't necessarily have pay transparency requirements, or as we're seeing, a lot of states have varying pay transparency requirements, and they can be very specific. Colorado, for example, has very, very specific requirements as to what needs to be included um, and disclosed in job postings. And if you have somebody who might not necessarily be as experienced in um, writing that type of stuff, I I will say ChatGPT puts out stuff in a very believable way. Even I've read it and I'm like, wow, that sounds really great. You know, like (laughs) sounds really good. Um, So 
it could be compelling to somebody to just kind of accept what's put out on its face. Um, and that's, I think, really where the danger lies is it seems so convenient. So are we going to accidentally fall into the position where we're like, well, it sounds good. It looks good. It must be good. So we'll just send it out. So I, I do think that there needs to be some level of um, caution when approaching the output by these by these AI systems. And, and definitely at this point, I wouldn't say that um, it should be unleashed to, to kind of take the wheel at this point. We, we still need the human oversight for sure. Right. No, that's great. Thank you. Thank you for that, Maylin. So Scott, let's shift back to you and talk a little bit about regulation. And I think this is actually a good segue to some of the conversation that we just had. I mean, do you feel like from a practical application standpoint, is it practical for employers to regulate this type of tool? So, so oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Uh, go, yeah, I'm I was sorry. Say, do you feel like an organization can put restrictions on the use of AI and say, you know, yes, your staff can use it. No, you can't use it and really enforce the thing that we're talking about related to human oversight. Yeah. So I, I think if I were to to see, to anticipate a progression, um, in fact, I was just uh, at my, my brother got married this past weekend. I was hanging out with a, a friend of mine who's a, a computer sciences guy who speaks a language in, in technology that I can barely keep up with, uh, who works for a very large investment house who builds their own um, proprietary AI platforms, generative AI platforms to make investments, right? Um, he oversees a, a, a division of this of this um, investment house that actually places sports bets, right? So they build AI platforms that are capable of analyzing odds. And so, so I bring that up because what they're using AI for are very targeted reasons, right? I think the thing that's hard with something like ChatGPT is it's the ocean, right? ChatGPT is is everything, right? It's every piece of information that was publicly accessible up into a certain date. And I believe the date now is 2021. Maybe we're in the 2022 now. Um, so so you, when you deal with something like ChatGPT, you're dealing with the ocean. Where I see a progression going is very targeted utilizations of a large language modeler for very focused reasons. And you'll start to see a siloing of AI platforms geared toward a specific industry or activity um, that have very focused safety controls. But the big issue right now, and this is this really is a big issue, is employers are being put in a position to step into a role that the government should have been paying attention to for the past 15 years, and they have not been paying attention to. This has been something that's been in the back of a lot of people's minds for a lot of years, that one day this technology is going to get pretty serious, and uh, we're going to have to know what to do. The fact that Congress is just taking up conversations about how are we going to regulate these large language modeler, modelers, um, that, this has implications far beyond just the workforce, it has implications in national security, has implications in, 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 in election security. It has uh, implications in uh, of, uh, so many different fronts that, uh, that need to be addressed and need to be regulated. So right now, we, we really don't have anything. And these are incredibly powerful technologies. Anybody who's watched ChatGPT spit out a convincing landlord tenant agreement in the state of New Jersey in about eight okay. seconds knows that this is a that this is something to be reckoned a force to be reckoned with um and and it would be helpful to have ethical guidelines that that companies are subject to it would be helpful to have very strict um uh, uh accuracy standards that these platforms have to live up to unfortunately none of that really exists right now 
Um, and we're really late to the game in developing it. And it's one of those things where it seems like the genie's already out of the bottle. But my hope is that that we can get a Congress that focuses on this as a very serious issue from a lot of different angles. And uh, companies could use some guidance and, and assurances that there is a regulatory framework that just doesn't exist right now. Um, uh, my my position is I don't think we can wait for that framework to exist to really dig in and try to understand and adopt these technologies. But I would welcome that framework uh, more than I can articulate on this on this <laughs> webcast today. Yeah, really giving you know giving people some boundaries, right? To to explore this new tool, I think is, is so well. Malin ma- ma- makes a like makes a really good point. I we we were raised with the internet. Right. I was 10 years old when I got AOL. So my entire middle school and high school and college and law school, I had it drilled into me. You can't trust anything you read on the internet. Right. <laughs> like that was a big part of my upbringing. Now, my, my dad, who's 70, trusts everything he reads on the internet. Right. He he trusts everything. And don't let him hear this podcast. He'll be mad at me. But he thinks he thinks it takes skill for something to get on the internet. And he makes Thanksgiving dinner really interesting, as you can probably imagine. Um, but, but I, I have that in, in inherent skepticism of anything I'm reading anyway, right? Like I, 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 I'm skeptical to begin with. I have that skeptical mind. I think it's because we were raised at the internet, not to trust it. So I view this as an extension of that, if that makes yeah. sense. I view that the, the, um, my, my, my little less lack, my little lack of fear as, as already having that pretty significant skepticism that was drilled yeah. in over the course of school that's, age. Years. I mean, that's fair, right? I mean, it, listen, I think. We always want to double check. I mean, I'm an HR professional, right? We're 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 double and triple checking everything we do. So I, I think you know, again, having some some parentheses, some boundaries to how do we utilize this technology in a way that is beneficial, but also you know, safe, right, and makes sense. Uh, Malin, what do you think? Uh, regulation. Do you think it's practical for employers to regulate regulate these types of tools? And you know kind of going back to the question that that I tossed to Scott as well. I mean, do you think can employers tell staff you can't use this? Right? Can they can they put that boundary up and say, you know, you're you're prohibited from using these types of tools? What are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, <clears throat> I I wholeheartedly agree with what Scott said about um Congress is definitely behind the eight ball on imposing some type of regulation, um, any type of regulatory framework for the use of these types of tools. But that said, we are seeing slowly, not as fast as it should be done, um, slowly regulatory um, laws are popping up with respect to AI. Um, For example, earlier this year, um, the New York City passed the Automated Employment Decision Tool Law, the AEDT law, um, and that imposes pretty strict requirements on employers who are using any type of automated decision-making tool um, in the employment context. So whether it's with hiring, firing, performance management, anything like that, um, it imposes requirements for bias audits that uh, some sometimes need to be posted publicly for applicants and employees to review. Uh, it, it requires uh, in-depth analysis of the data that's being inputted and um, correspondingly output by these systems to make sure that there is no type of biases and things like that. Um, and that was pretty a pretty landmark law that came up. Uh, New York State has has a similar law pending, and I really I think that we're going to see a lot more states kind of take a step in that direction. Um, There are other states that have similar laws. They might not be labeled as AI regulatory, but like, for example, Oregon um, 
and Maryland have facial recognition laws. So the use of um, any type of facial recognition software in video conferences, like we're, what we're doing here today, things like that. Um, Illinois has a artificial intelligence video interview act that imposes regulations on employers who conduct video interviews uh, using AI technology and, and use that AI technology to kind of evaluate the candidates opposed to having a live um, interviewer who evaluates the candidates. Um, so it's very slow progress. And I, I definitely agree that we are very far behind the eight ball because um, like Scott mentioned, this stuff isn't new. AI is not new. It's been around for many years and it's been developing. We've just really seen a a boost of it in the media, especially with the introduction of chat GPT in recent years and, um, and just kind of a lot more media attention on this subject. Um, but I think we are going to see a lot of regulations pop up. And so that said, not only is it practical that employers impose some type of regulations, I think it's imperative. Um, as Scott mentioned, some employers are taking it upon themselves to develop their own AI technology. Um, that's really targeted to perform certain tasks within an organization. Uh, so I think doing so uh, really requires uh, an analysis and, and action towards imposing those types of safeguards to prevent any type of inaccurate information or biases or anything like that. Data management is going to be really important with uh, managing these systems. Um, and I think just as more states kind of impose these laws, we're going to see a lot more requirements imposed on employers, uh, especially using them uh, with respect to any type of HR related function. Um, hopefully the federal government will also take an eye towards this and, and maybe uh, impose some regulations, uh, kind of a universal framework, because you know, the states will probably have a lot of differing things. Some states may choose not to address it at all. Um, but I think just like any other, <clears throat> I guess, kind of switching gears to the second half of your question about can employers kind of um, restrict the use of things like ChatGPT, I think just like any other um, workplace rule, employers are free to impose whatever type of restrictions they want um, with respect to the workplace, as long as it doesn't infringe on any of the employee's rights. Um, and so if an employer is taking a more cautionary approach, uh, they don't think that ChatGPT is trustworthy yet, or there's just not enough um, understanding or, or uh, oversight to the system. I, I don't see a problem at this point with um, restricting an employee's use of that, because like, we, like we've kind of been talking about, there are individuals who are subject matter experts and, and are qualified to review the, the work output from these systems, but not everyone in an organization might have that expertise. And so, like I said, it, it puts out very compelling information um, when it creates these responses. And for somebody that might be a bad actor within a company, they they might not care to take the time to comb through and really, really look at it. And unfortunately, there might be people like that in every organization. So if an employer wants to take a more cautious approach, um, until there are more uh, precise regulations, I think that it would it would apply just as any other workplace rule would apply. Okay, all right, very good. Thank you for that, Maylin. Um, you know, I, and you actually referenced this a little bit when you were kind of giving your opening argument. And, and Scott, I'd like to pose this question to you, and then and then ping back to you on it as well again, Maylin. And let's that that's really talking about this issue of data privacy and security. So how, how does that fit into this conversation? 
And is it possible that these AI programs like ChatGPT could acquire and disseminate this conf any confidential employer information? Scott, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think that that's a I think that that's a valid concern for sure. Um, but let's let's take the 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 language model out of the conversation. I think it's a concern before ChatGPT. I think it's a significant concern that that haunts companies every single day is the the risk of trade secrets or um, sensitive data, company data being compromised through a variety of different ways, whether it's through phishing attacks or through uh, social engineering attacks, or whether it's through uh, a, a terrible employee with bad incentives who, uh, who, who, who leaks information. So I don't want to pretend like chat GPT is the first time we're encountering a fear over security of co sensitive company data. Um, I, I think that there is a way for employers to build frameworks that um, impose the same or similar sanctions on employees who violate uh, the privacy of the company. Um, and, and, and there's a way to, to tailor the access to the platform in a way to where um, there's a certain level of vetting with the individuals that you would be giving this, this platform to. Um, I think that that's a valid concern. I, 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 I where I see utility today in ChatGPT is relatively low-level content development, relatively low-level um, framework building. Uh, you know, I was sitting on a C CLE course, Malin and I have to take those uh, all the time in order to maintain our license. And I just took one on uh, the pitfalls of using ChatGPT as a, as an attorney. And 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 the attorney who was teaching the course made a good point where he's like, you can use ChatGPT to give you a framework for a brief, but you don't want ChatGPT to write your brief, right? So I, I see fairly low level uses that in responsible hands um, are fairly low impact. But of course, my a fear that haunts us every day is data leak, security leak, um, and and this is just one more avenue that we have to pay attention to, in addition to the myriad other avenues that we already have to pay attention to, um, in keeping data security um, stable. So so I don't again I don't want to treat this similarly with biases, similarly with discrimination, similarly with inaccurate information, as if it's a wholly new problem. I think what's interesting about ChatGPT is that it does mimic human behavior, right? I, I think that that's a major aspect of it is that it mimics human behavior. These are all human fallibilities, right? Like these are all traits that we encounter in the workforce every day uh, that we have to navigate every day. So I, I view it as as just a, the, the pendulum's moving in the direction, the train's moving in the direction. This is one more area that we really have to understand and pay attention to and, and attempt to adopt because like I said, it, it, it's here and it's going to proliferate whether not we wanted anywhere, to or right? not. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely not going anywhere. Well, thank you, Scott. So Malin, you know, swinging it over to you on that point. And again, I know when you were giving your opening position, you were talking a little bit about privacy and security. What are your thoughts specifically on, you know, the potential dissemination of confidential employer information and, and you know, do employers put boundaries around that? What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think like Scott mentioned, it's going to be a concern no matter what. I'm I'm sure it was a concern when the internet first came out and employers were worried about employees accessing um, the internet in general uh, and putting any type of content out there. Um, like I mentioned before, ChatGPT has been pretty open that the way that it learns is by storing all information that's ever been inputted into it. Um, and so 
they say it lives forever. So the hard part is that if you have maybe a more naive employee um, who unintentionally discloses something confidential, not knowing maybe the implications of that, or even if you have a bad actor employee who does it intentionally, um, there's really no way for an employer to kind of take action to then muzzle chat GPT from disseminating that information at a future time. Um, and I think at least with the interactions that employers have with their individual employees, they can take steps uh, such as requiring non-disclosure agreements that provide the employer some recourse if the employee uh, makes a misstep or, or intentionally uh, takes malicious action. Um, but with ChatGPT, the once that information is there, it lives on the internet now. It does. It's not within the employer's uh, realm of control. Um, I think another issue, um, and this is again going to be just an issue for employers forever. I see um, for the foreseeable future is that the risk that there, the information contained within this within ChatGPT may contain viruses that have been inserted by external hackers. I mean, we've seen hackers get so smart um, over the last twenty years. Um, and even longer than that, you know, with the phishing expeditions through email and things like that. Um, so, for example, if there's code that has been copy and pasted into chat GPT uh, and then it, it's output to somebody that's asking a similar question, if they copy and paste that code in, into their internal server, something like that, um, you might have just given access to a hacker to then access all of the company's data, you know, and and it's just the smarter these types of technologies get, the smarter the users and the malicious users are going to get as well. Um, so I think that there's definitely always going to be a privacy concern, um, security concern. You know, employers have taken so much action over many, many years to kind of uh, create these confidential servers where they're really trying to uh, surround the confidential information with all these protections so that hackers can't access it. Um, but I think ChatGPT, uh, like many other technologies um, that we've seen, is just going to become another tool for these types of hackers to try to access that confidential information. Maybe that means we get a little extra IT security training, guys. I don't know. That's another another <laughs> level to our, our IT security exactly. training. Exactly. But um, okay, great. Thank you for that, Maylin. Let's shift, guys, if you don't mind, to this issue of efficiency. And Scott, you referenced this a little bit, so I'll, I'll kick this question off with you. Um, you know, where do you think there lie some of these routine tasks and activities within um, within someone's workload? that AI may actually be better than an employee. You know, what are some of those lowest hanging fruits for AI automation? I know I personally, you know, again, I'm an HR leader. There's a lot of tactical that lives in the world of, a, of an HR professional. What are your thoughts around some of those lowest hanging fruits and maybe a way that AI could create some efficiencies in a positive way? Yeah, so um, this has been a really interesting conversation to listen to on my end, and I've been really interested in Malin's perspective and, and Jenny, your perspective from an HR perspective, because that's not the way I've been approaching AI, right? I mean, when I think about AI, um, I haven't been wrestling with those questions as much as I've been thinking about um, what I do on a daily basis, which is health and welfare benefits consulting, what are some of the efficiencies that I think about that I want to be involved with when, a when AI really gets up and running? And uh, anybody who has had the displeasure of having to deal with an insurance carrier and customer service 
Um, I think customer service's time is numbered. I think human customer service is numbered. There's been widespread experiments going on right now with natural language processing AI platforms where about 30% of people who are engaging with a natural language AI platform can't tell that they're talking to an AI platform. Um, you know, and this is these are natural conversations. This is this is open-ended. You could easily see a world where a natural language platform could be trained within the small universe of the potential questions that someone could be asked in the customer service setting, and you could see that 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 uh, it's only a matter of time before that's that's adopted uh, at least as a front line of defense, right? At least as a as a front line um, interaction. I mean. Like I said, I've been going back and forth with an insurance carrier with a bill. I work in this industry. I know this industry inside and out, and I still find myself pulling my hair out. So I, <laughs> I, I feel like I would welcome some of that efficiency. But then going further into um, uh, a recent law that came out back at, in the end of 2020 into 2021, which is the Consolidated Appropriations Act. You know, when I look at one of the largest inefficiencies that employers that we work with encounter when they sponsor health and welfare benefit plans has been the opaque nature of, of pricing at hospitals and negotiated rates between insurance carriers and that data being completely under lock and key. Now, as a result of that new law, there are incredible, there's incredible access to very specific pricing data. But when I read the pricing data, like if I were to go onto my local hospital and pull, pull up their spreadsheet of all the negotiated rates with every single insurance carrier, it's difficult for my very human mind to make sense or, or or to see patterns in that pricing data. I see efficiencies on the horizon where uh, a large um, uh, AI platform could interpret, make sense, and help employers gain, gain efficiencies in making objective data-based decisions on which way to go from a health and welfare benefits perspective. I also think about the challenges that our clients have in certain parts of the country with their employee populations accessing care. I'm incredibly optimistic with what um, with the with what generative AI can do to aid um, something like a telehealth platform, right? Having a nurse practitioner with an AI diagnostic tool behind them to make decisions to save money in misdiagnosis, to save money in uh, unnecessary care. Um, we're already seeing this being deployed in pathology and radiology. Um, so I get very excited about where I see efficiencies being built up. But but think about administrative roles that are getting harder and harder and harder to fill with each passing year. Think about customer service. Think about... Um, Think about uh, uh, you know positions where having access to all all the information possibly known known in uh, in our world uh, could deliver some pretty significant efficiencies. But I just think about I just think about you know the consulting that we do and and where we are thirsty for uh, uh, the capabilities to be able to really carve out some of the unnecessary spending and the types of consulting we do with health and welfare benefit plans. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely very tempting to think of all those areas that we could really create a lot of efficiency. And, and you know, again, with that, with that check, the checks and balances that we were. We I'll were say this. I have a two and a half year old son. I don't think he's going to be a radiologist. I don't think he's going to be a pathologist. I, I don't think he's going to be an engineer necessarily in the, the traditional sense. I don't know that he's going to be an actuary, right? Um, these are professions that have targets on their backs from AI platforms. So, so look, the world, it's going to look different in 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Maylin, what are your thoughts about, you know, creating these efficiencies and, 
you know, what are some of those tasks in your mind that are the lowest hanging fruit that can really maybe benefit an employer to utilize this type of technology? Sure. Um, so like I said before, I AI is really getting a lot of media attention now, but it has been around for many, many years. Um, we've already seen it performing things like employee statistical reports or payroll processing or really any of the tasks that are um, performed by an HRIS system, for example. Um, maybe certain automatic notifications to employees about things like open enrollment or other benefits notifications. Um, I hate to call them menial because they are very important to an organization, but I guess I would say more of like the clerical tasks that are being done within an HR department. Um, we have already seen a lot of automation with the way that those tasks are being performed, which has allowed uh, organizations to streamline those processes and, and save time and money uh, by kind of cutting out some of the more manual labor that's required maybe to perform an employee statistics report. Now you don't have to print out everything and count things and, you know, input certain numbers into an Excel spreadsheet. You can kind of ask the computer to do those types of things. And, and so it's stuff like that that I think people sometimes forget that AI is already kind of existing um, in the workplace. Uh, but that said, those tasks are still being reviewed by a human. Um, so we still have individuals within an HR department. Uh, maybe you have analysts or coordinators or administrators who are responsible for reviewing the output that these systems are creating uh, just to, to have that type of checks and balances because, um, you know, humans make make mistakes, but computers make mistakes. We, we've seen it all the time um, where it, a formula gets messed up and it just runs the number wrong or it grabs the wrong number from the wrong cell or something like that. Um, and so all those even clerical tasks still require a level of human oversight uh, that really demonstrates the importance of maintaining like human involvement in human resources. Um, I also would say that uh, a lot of these tasks aren't performed by a traditional HR professional. It's more of the lower level individuals within an HR department. So those, those true subject matter experts who are responsible for um, running the department. So whether that's um, an HR director, uh, those types of individuals are not necessarily, their, their tasks are much more involved, I would say, um, and maybe can't be automated to the extent that some of these uh, more clerical tasks are already being automated. So I think there is progress um, and there might be some more areas, but I think the higher up that kind of chain of command we get within specifically an HR department, I think the more cautious an employer needs to be when weighing the pros and cons of should we have a computer perform this or should we maintain the human aspect of our human resources department. Yeah, well, and I'll, I'll tack this question on, Melanie. You've answered this to some degree, but I think that's an excellent point. You know, there's there's kind of the strategic and there's the tactical and where can this tool be of most benefit, right? But do you feel like there could be a risk that companies could outsource too many of these responsibilities to AI? Absolutely. I think um, everything that we've talked about today kind of demonstrates what those risks might be. You know, there's a, a funny example with ChatGPT that's gotten some media example or media attention. And it's somebody asked it, like, can you draw me a picture of salmon in the river? And it came back with like a, a picture of a river and then a bunch of salmon fillets 
just floating in the river <laughs> and technically is it right yeah but right. is is it what we we're spe- specifically looking for so even something like that it's like it has a subjective interpretation which i think demonstrates the dangers of the use of H- ai because if you're asking AI to perform something that really does take a more subjective analysis, um, which is really within the realm of those top tier HR professionals. Um, I think we run the risk of, uh, like I said, misinformation or biases, inaccuracies, anything like that, um, that AI might put out. So I definitely think that there are some duties that will just always have to be retained by um, manpower, human manpower. And, and, even if we do start to automate some of those things, there's always going to be a need for some level of human oversight. So even if we can automate it, we still need somebody to look at that picture and say, this isn't what we want to put out. Right. This isn't what we meant. <laughs> no, absolutely. That's, a, that's an excellent point. And I love that analogy. That's that's funny. So Scott, let, let me flip this question over to you. What do you feel like the long-term potential for efficiency gains are? I know we talked a little bit about efficiencies and, and AI what do you see long-term? I know you referenced that a little bit with your son, you know, in terms of what the future looks like, you know, and, you know, to piggyback off of that, if we're really able to create some efficiencies with AI, where say, you know, 24 HR professionals responsibilities could be carried out by this kind of software, what does that do to employment in our labor market? Um, look, history is littered with positions that used to exist. You know, there used to be kids who used to set pins at bowling alleys, right? Uh, that job doesn't exist anymore. Um, you know, uh, there's the, the list goes on and on and on and on. But um, if I'm looking down the road, I don't really see an industry that's going to skate from this unscathed without having a downsizing in, in their in their workforce. Um, again, a lot of tasks are done imperfectly right now that have the potential to be done perfectly by humans. I'll just give one quick example. I, I'm sorry, done perfectly by uh, by AI. Um, I, I I was in the ER earlier this year and I needed to get an X-ray done. Um, the X-ray was was read by an AI platform and funneled to a single radiologist that was located about a thousand miles away from where I was being treated. Um, his, if that had happened to me 15 years ago, there would have been a radiologist on site at the hospital or within the hospital system to read that x-ray, that that salary for that radiologist would have been um, on the hospital. Uh, now, what they're able to do is they're able to funnel, and Malin did a really nice job of describing this, they're able to funnel the volume of x-rays through a an AI platform to target the ones that need that check from, from the human. But right off the bat, you're already using fewer radiologists to perform a task that was done by many more radiologists in, in the past. So I I don't see whether it's whether it's trucking or whether it's large scale transportation or whether it's um, uh, uh, customer service or whether it's administrative task and organization or design and development in engineering firms or actuarial analysis that's going to, that's going to escape AI unscathed which is why I think we need to be thinking about it now. So 
going to be interesting to see the the job market moving forward, right? As as employers yeah. to look, every everyone made everyone everyone made fun of me for being a liberal arts major. Now, natural <laughs> language processing is pretty important. You <laughs> know, you are now, Scott, yeah. right? Yeah. I, I don't I don't know how important it's going to be to know how to use a TI eighty three going down the road. You know, so um, anyway. Well, I think I have one of those too. Um, so so Malin, flipping the coin a little bit here. Are there certain things that you can think of or that you would say should never, ever be replaced by AI? So even if these tools become exponentially better in the years ahead, are there some tasks that humans should just always retain for themselves? What do you think? Yeah, you know, like Scott said, it, we are going to see a shift in uh, employment opportunities. Uh, I personally think we're going to shift from having humans perform some of these tasks to becoming like the moderators of some of these systems. So maybe the subject matter experts who are involved in, in things like um, accounting or finance or something like that, they might not be performing those tasks themselves. They may move to a position where they're taking an oversight role of the systems that are now performing those types of um, those types of activities and things like that. Uh, I still, I feel very passionately about, you know, that humans don't even fully understand human behavior. I think one of the most uh, exciting things about being in HR is that every employee is going to be different and present different um, challenges to an organization, as well as bring different kinds of strengths to an organization. Um, so if we can, if we can't expect ourselves to fully understand the entire scope of human behavior and how to respond to different stimulus for different employees. So whether that's um, accommodation requests under the ADA or needs for leave, uh, whether that's short-term disability, FMLA, any other types of leaves of absence, um, you know, how can we expect technology to also understand the entire scope of human behavior, um, which is so unique and is so changing every day. You know, people wake up differently in the morning sometimes, and and they they may come to work with a different mindset or an outlook, and and it's it's already hard enough for uh, human members of a human resources department to respond and deal with those types of stimulus within the workplace. Um, technology is really geared to be more objective. Um, and kind of respond to stimulus in an objective manner. So I think the types of tasks that really require a subjective analysis um, or things like sympathy and empathy, you know, like st uh, sometimes a human resources director is a therapist of sorts to some of the employees. They have an issue and they just need somebody to talk to. Um, I, I don't see technology taking over roles um, where we really do need that human aspect uh, because I think it brings a lot of value to an organization. Uh, even that said, I think there are some other maybe what would be more objective, uh, things like employee handbooks or drafting employer policies. I think that there are so many nuanced laws out there uh, that require certain language here, but not here. And then a different state might require that or it 
I mean, we see it with the paid leave across the across the board. Every state has a different application of paid leave. Every state has different eligibility for paid leave. And it's so nuanced that it really does take those subject matter experts to comb through the information to make sure that it's being applied correctly. Um, and again, while it might seem a little bit more objective, I still think that some of the analysis of those types of issues in the workplace are really going to require that subjective analysis that I just don't think that technologies can necessarily bring to the table. But I do think that it's going to be something that we see grow and grow and grow. Um, and it, it's probably going to affect many aspects of a corporate organization. But I think that human resources, from my perspective, is really like a, a sanctuary where human involvement is required. That's why it's called human resources. Well, you know, gosh, this has been such an excellent conversation. And I think there's a lot, there's a lot to consider. I mean, it is not, certainly not a one-sided issue. So thank you both for such an incredible debate. And now it's up to our listeners to decide, should the use of AI be allowed in the workplace or should employers take a more cautious stand against these brave new programs? As a reminder, One Digital is your one-stop shop for workforce management expertise, including compliance consulting services for cutting edge issues such as the use of AI. We're here to support your business, provide strategic suggestions, and empower your employees. Thanks for listening, and we hope to catch you again for future episodes.